Hello, hello, hello. You reached the Hyper Guy and Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. And I want to thank all the listeners and supporters around the world that have listened to the podcast. Let's try to get a movement going here as we focus on people that have done wonderful things in their life and their journey and uh, and to motivate us all to uh, move our lives forward and just pursue our goals. And today I have the wonderful guest, Teresa Villegas, and uh, she's uh, been so kind to, to join us today. Uh, Teresa is a commissioner in Los Angeles, and she's going to tell us kind of about her journey. She's a commissioner with the Department of Public Works, and she's done a lot of amazing things that she doesn't want to talk about, uh, but I'm going to pull it out of her today. So uh, welcome, Teresa, if you want to say a little bit about yourself for a moment, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Sure. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me um, with all of your, uh, you know, listeners. Uh, it's such a pleasure to um, to join you. It's a first for me, so thanks um, for inviting me, um, Teresa Viegas. I professionally I work for the City of Los Angeles. Um, I am a commissioner for the city. I handle public works um, issues, so it's infrastructure. So glad to be here. Well, we're going to start off by, by what, we use, what we usually do, and then we're going to start this journey right now. And like I say, we want to we want to focus on your life journey and how you've uh, attained the position that you have today, and Perfect. all the and so so tell me about uh, where were you born and raised, and yeah, let's start off with that. Sure, uh, I am uh, I am Mexican, I'm Mexicana. Um, I was born in Ensenada, Baja California beautiful coastal town. Um, I came to the United States when I was two, two and, years old. And and uh, so how did, so you came over to the United States at two years old and uh, did your parents ever tell you why? I mean, uh, you must have found out that you came sure. to the United States. How, how, what was that whole process like for you? Sure, sure. Um, so uh, my, um, my parents are not from Ensenada. If anybody knows the... Um, geography of Mexico. It's a, it's a coastal town. It's just about like a three and a half to four hours um, south of Los Angeles. And uh, we don't have any family there. Um, my, uh, my dad um, uh, worked um, to eradicate malaria uh, in the 60s. And um, it, it's kind of, I feel like it's a full circle because a lot of outreach is going on right now to make sure a lot of people get vaccinated for covid he was doing the same thing in mexico and um northern part of mexico uh and he one of his territories was uh ensenada so he fell in love with ensenada uh my father is from zacatecas fresnillo zacatecas um which is um uh, like central, almost like central Mexico. Uh, and uh, my mother is from Hermosillo, Sonora. So it's a, um, a northern state. Uh, and uh, my, um, my uh, grandfather, uh, my dad's father, uh, he uh, wanted his kids to be like educated. So he moved the city, he thought, to like a bigger city. And uh, he moved them to Hermosillo, Sonora. And so uh, it, my uh, dad grew up in a ranch. Um, and uh, he is one of 17 um, kids. And um, uh, when they, the family moved, uh, 
they were not happy because they really liked their their dwelling and they really liked living there. Um, and if anybody knows, you know, parts of Mexico, Hermosillo, Sonora is always super hot. I mean, it's probably hot 10 months out of the year. It's like Arizona. So it's always, always super hot. My dad was not used to that weather and nor did he like it. Um, but he ended up meeting my mother, um, uh, in Hermosillo. Actually, my uh, dad's um, sister and my mother worked together and she introduced them. Uh, and, uh, they dated for a little bit, but my dad was always working. Um, and, uh, and he, um, he would write her a lot of love, a lot of love letters. So we still have them. Um, and, uh, they got engaged over a letter and, uh, and then subsequently they got married. Um, and they, um, they honeymooned and went straight to Ensenada. Uh, and so it was a huge change for my mom. Um, she got married when she was 22. So it was a big change for her. My parents are 11 years apart and they, they settled in Ensenada, which was just difficult for her. Uh, my, my, um, I'm the youngest of four. So my two older siblings were not born in Ensenada. She would just go back home mm -hmm. and give birth um, where she was from and then come back a couple of months later. Um, but it was it was just hard for her. But the last two, my, my older brother and myself, we were born in Ensenada. Um, and my dad has business in Ensenada, it, what we call like a chatarra. It's a recycling business. Um, so it's a, uh, Ensenada is also known for, you know, canneries and tuna um, and fish. Uh, and so he would recycle a lot of that material. And, um, and he'd drive, he, he knew Los Angeles and the United States well also, because he would come and basically like uh, sell his recyclables here. Uh, and uh, and uh, the economy obviously in Mexico just uh, changed and his business went belly up. And so he moved first um, to the United States uh, in 1974. Um, he moved in April in 1974. I have, I had an aunt, I, has, I haven't, I had an aunt. She passed my dad's sister, same sister that introduced my mom to my dad. Um, she lived in Los Angeles. And so she was already settled here. She got married to a, um, a military man. So she got immediate citizenship. Uh, and she, you know, told my dad that she would help him settle. And, uh, and he came to this country, you know, after having a business, um, he was ready to work so he can bring his family back. So he started off with really humble beginnings as a dishwasher and a convalescent home, um, and, uh, started from scratch. So, uh, he did that for, um, probably a couple of months. And um, and did a little bit of like side work and my family, my, my parents can't be apart. Um, and so my mom's like, I'm not living without my husband. This is crazy. I have four kids, you know, from um, two, three, four. And then my sister was seven. So um, it was, uh, we, we all got our visas. We said we were gonna go to Disneyland. My aunt brought us here same aunt that introduced my parents brought us here, came on a visa and, um, you know, obviously soon expired, but my, uh, father, um, was able to find a, um, a stable job, uh, at a factory. It was in the aerospace industry. Um, and, uh, he would, um, be responsible for, uh, making, um, you know, just all the 
the military masks um, that uh, they wear, you know, during um, difficult, you know, situations or, you know, gas masks. And uh, he would also like um, help manufacture the, the, um, the big uh, glasses that you put over um, those helmets. Um, they're, what do you call it? They're solar. So we could see um, when there's eclipse, he would always bring them home. And so when there was a solar eclipse, we would put them on, we can see it was fine. Um, and so he would manufacture those. Um, and he had his job for almost 20 years. It had insurance. So so when did he, when did he, um, uh, when did he bring, so he got that job and then when did he bring your whole family over and where did you guys settle at? Um, so, uh, in 1974, he was already here. We moved in a couple of months later in September and, uh, we settled in, um, in the city of Rosemead, California. Um, and which wasn't too far from where my aunt lived, um, and uh, from Rosemead, we moved to uh, San Gabriel. And from San Gabriel, we moved to South El Monte. My parents um, were able to rent a house in South El Monte for a long period of time. He was still working. It was um, stable income. My mom was uh, still just doing side jobs, nothing major. She was a seamstress, uh, <clears throat> but wasn't working full time. Um, my dad bought her a sewing machine. So she would sew at home all the time. And, um, we would, uh, she would show us how to, um, uh, she had to make like belts sometimes and they're really thin and she had to like sew them on the, you know, from the inside out. And so she would sew them and then she'd always tell us like, okay, now we got to turn them inside out. And she would show us how to do that. And so we would help her finish up her work. And uh, yeah, that was, that was life. Um, but um, the, the bigger deal was that my dad also, um, my dad's name is Alejandro Villegas. Um, but uh, we didn't, he wasn't known in his work as Alejandro. He, he worked under another social. So he had an alias. Um, and, uh, you know, as kids, you grow up with your little, like, you know, bracelets that say your name. And my mom was so cautious when we would go pick up my dad from work. She's all take off the bracelets, take off the bracelets. <laughs> so your dad had a different name, um, and, a different name. Yeah. And, different and, name. and what made him do that? Why did he feel like he had to do Well, that? we, we were, uh, we, you know, the visas had expired. We didn't have a, um, social we were in a country that was different and my aunt helped him you know get a, a social security of a gentleman that had passed away that she knew she's resourceful and um she gave it to my dad and this was in the 70s so it wasn't as like it was checked uh, you know today and um he worked that social for forever um you know that's how they that's how they knew my father as um you know just a, another name what, what was yeah. his name? What was his name? Yeah, I mean, when we hear it, you know, when we hear the people's uh, last names, we always think, I'm like, oh, my God, I wonder if they're related. Uh, it was Gilberto Nieto. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, it, it's it's so odd. I mean, I still, you know, uh, we would see mail and it would say to him. Um, it was a whole thing because you have to open up a bank account. Um, and then after we became, well, it's a long story, but after we became citizens, um, he changed everything over. I mean, you know, it, it's the whole story, but it was, yeah.
and what was it what was the process like um did, did people know um was it a struggle because everyone was undocumented was it a struggle to get other services and how was it growing up i mean did was that something that you were aware of as a child or you, they, it wasn't even spoken about or? Oh, no, we were really conscientious. We knew everything that was going on. We spoke about everything. Yeah, we were very um, made aware of our um, status. We were ashamed. We were embarrassed. Um, I think it's just, um, you know, ashamed and, and embarrassed because my parents were ashamed and embarrassed. Um, um, we had no family here other than my dad's sister. And when my mother, um, you know, announced to her family, it was, uh, it was, it, for her, it was more of, um, I didn't make it in my own country, so I'm going somewhere else. So she felt really, um, um, I don't know, humiliated or just not the same, you know, like she was still gonna go, you know, be with her husband, but it was, you know, we, we can't make it financially here, so we're gonna go somewhere else. And it was viewed as like a statistic, you know, you're going to the U.S. and and there you are. You can't even come visit us because we were undocumented for 12 years. She didn't see her, you know, she didn't see her siblings. My grandmother, her mother would come um, visit, um, you know, visit us. Um, but it was different. You know, we couldn't, she, she couldn't travel. So none of us could. Um, I mean, I didn't go to Mexico until I was um, 16, 15 or 16, something like that. Yeah. So that must have been a definitely must be difficult because you didn't know, you know, you didn't know your family. No, we didn't know. We didn't know our family. Um, we just uh, sometimes they would come to visit. Um, and it was just um, it. Yeah, it was. I you know sometimes you think of you, you put you know, the things are just all in your head, right? That you're, uh, you know, just embarrassed or all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I think that's that's that, those the that's the energy that my mom gave off to us, um, and uh, and so we truly felt it, and um, and we did not speak of it to anyone. It was only internal. Like most of my um, um, friends that've known me for a really long time from grammar school never knew nothing, um, and um, you know. We were very, you know, my, my mom was very active with us in, you know, in school and she was very present, but she didn't know a lick of English and she would always, uh, uh, you know, pester, you know, any, she'd have us as her interpreters um, and she would uh, just be very adamant with us about, you know, strict, super, super strict. My mother was with us on, um, on school because she said, you know, there's, there's no out other than school. That's it. Um, so. So let me ask you this: um, the transition when you were in school, your, your did your father speak English and your your mother didn't speak English at all, and that's tough when you're in another country you can't speak the language. Um, did all of you were both were you all bilingual, or did, was that difficult for you the language transition yeah. as well? Um, well, I came when I was two, and since my mom's um, uh, my mother's mom, my grandmother, um, she was a teacher for like 50 years. And so my mom knew that education was important to us, to her children. Uh, and so when we came to this country, um, I, she found um, a preschool for, for us. And she found a school for my sister, obviously, because she was in second grade. But we went to preschool. 
Um, and, um, and we were one of those, like the first year, like in 1974, she always like, uh, would tell us, you know, I was too young, but she put us in, in preschool, uh, in San Gabriel. Um, and, uh, we're one of those families that received, um, and even, I don't know why it's getting me emotional talking about this, but we were one of those families that received, um, you know, Christmas gifts and, um, such big generosity. So, you know, now, you know, she would always tell us, don't judge a book by its cover. You, you don't um, underestimate um, what people can do um, because we were a part of those families that we were recipients because we were, somebody took us in. Mm -hmm. And um, we found this preschool um, and uh, we, re we remained friends with the director long after we left, long after, you know, my, we were, you know, in, in um, high school and even in college, um, we, we had still remained friends and connected with the director of our preschool because we felt so much um, indebtedness. I mean, we, we, we don't, we now we donate to the, the school because it's just, it's a part of who, who we are. Um, and, uh, you know, having, and the connection was made, um, just from, again, my aunt who was really resourceful. She introduced us, uh, to the school. Uh, and I don't even remember how my aunt knew, you know, knew them, but, um, it was just God sent, um, because that really helped, um, you know, just give a path to, to my parents. And they both didn't know English. Look, my parents, like they were not, um, they were uh, monolingual and they were just getting by. My dad was just getting by with, you know, his charisma and trying to like make a living. And uh, my mom was just trying to meet the right people so that she can put us in school. And for us, we only spoke Spanish at the house and we immediately, like as kids, you immediately like get the language. And so we immediately um, started speaking English. Um, and Amongst our siblings, we would speak English, but with our parents, we would always speak Spanish. Um, so it was an easy transition for us. Um, you know, and I'm the youngest, so it was the easiest, I think, for me. My sister is the one who had it just a little bit harder since she was um, just a little older. So it was uh, like a, it was a, a financial struggle for your family. I mean, for your oh, for mom. sure. Yeah, yeah, the first, yeah. first yeah, you, couple of years, yes. Yeah, yeah, you, you, I mean, you, you were basically... Um, very dependent upon other people's kindness yeah. to, to get you through this. And it sounds like you didn't have a lot of support. And um, what do you think got you through that? Um, when you were in elementary school and in high school, what do you think got you and your family through that? And did you, what did you do well in school? Uh, yeah. Like we say in Spanish, because I have a mom who's like really strict with us. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, she, you know what? What got us really through with that is, you know, because we're we're still only. Um, it was only, of course, my aunt, and then she has one daughter, and uh, and and then it's just us six. So we were really tight. Like, what got us through that was just talking about everything and how we're going to unravel this life. And every single day, like I remember. Um, Back in the day, you know, my dad would get paid on Fridays. And I remember 
going to the grocery store with my parents on Thursday. And they're like, we're going to put the check through and it's not going to get cashed until tomorrow. And I always remember thinking, or they would count their pennies and they would put gas in the car and they're like, this is going to get us through for the next couple of days. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, that will never be me. Like, I don't ever want to live like that. That is not going to happen. I'm going to have five bucks. I'm going to spend it wherever the hell I want. Um, and it just, I mean, these are uh, just life memories, but they really like, um, they really frame. And it's just really important to be able to um, understand. And from a very young age, we all understood um, the the meaning of a dollar. Uh, we also understood that um, education was going to be our way out. Um, and then, you know, we're we're you know Mexican Catholics. I mean, like we never missed Sundays mass we never missed my mother was like so hardcore so i think it's also just our faith um that kept us really grounded um to be able to appreciate you know the the little things that we had um for sure um because uh it was it, yeah it was hard but after you know we still celebrated birthdays we still you know were able to to do the little things that we could as a family my parents put us all in swim team. So we all swam and we went, and my parents would always say, swimming is uh, the way that we've gotten to know Southern California because we swam in like many, many different pools all over the place. And my dad had this like little Ford courier uh, truck with the, um, with a camper on it. And we would, uh, we would get out of the, the truck and our friends were, they would always call us the A-team because we would all like jump out. Um, and, uh, you know, swimming and 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 school and, and just that really strong unit of like, you know, family is what really got us through. Um, I mean, those- So what, were, your role, like, were your role models, your mom and and dad and your sisters in your-, in your your siblings? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And my grandmother, since she came so much and so often to visit us. Um, and I'm, she, my mom would always say, you know, we're my grandmother would always tell us, you know, it's just my, so I'm the youngest and my sister's the oldest and there's two boys in between There's two and two. Um, so she would always say women are worth double. You know, we, we can work, we can sustain a family and we can make, you know, babies and we can make humans. So we're worth two. Um, and my mom would, uh, you know, tell us the same thing. She's like, no, nope, this is not how it's going to be done. You know, and even though it was like a, a partnership with uh, my parents, you know, my mom was the disciplinarian. She was the one who guided. She was the CEO of that family. And this said, this is how it's going to happen. And this is what's going to go. And my dad would, um, he would follow. And he was um, the, I think the one that we would like go to for like problems as we were getting older. Um, and we would confide a lot in my dad and we're like, don't tell my mom. 
but telling my dad was like just telling my mom because he would say everything to her anyways but he was um yeah i think we just built such a close-knit um family that um like i to this day like i have siblings that don't live you know in california they you know they live out two of my siblings live out of california but i see them I know what kind of mood they're in. I don't need any words to be spoken or I can talk to them on the phone if they call me and I know something's up um, just from the tone. I mean, we can, we know each other so well. Um, and even through just, you know, the, the heartache that we experienced, you know, my dad passed in January, 2020. And then, you know, we had COVID so we couldn't even be together. Um, and we, you know, we grieved, you know, solo, um, which was really hard, even though we did Zoom, it's not the same. Um, and um, we just knew how everyone was like feeling and we would talk about it. Um, and um, yeah, that was, that was, so, that's, that's just how close we are. So when, um, when, when did you get your, like, how did you become citizens and how did you become legal? How did that, what was that process like? I mean, did your parents apply for that? And when you, when you, when you got it, how was it? It must've been a very different experience going from like you're hiding and you're struggling and then, and then you, you finally become citizens and you can <clears throat> kind of come out. How was it? What was that like for your family? Yeah. And it wasn't a coming out like to a lot of people either. Um, uh, it's not a coming out until recently. It's socially accepted. Um, you know, we, we, um, in, in 1987, we had amnesty, uh, and my mother, um, my mother heard about it, but she didn't trust it, uh, until she heard it from her church. And once we heard it from our church, um, she, um, immediately filed all the paperwork. She filed it all herself. So one of the things that I forgot to mention, my mom is always like a, a she loves school. So she went back to school. She got her GED and then she, um, she got a bunch, she took a bunch of English classes. Um, and then she became also a, a tax preparer. Um, so she had her own business for a really long time and uh, she would take classes, you know, in English, she would know how to, um, um, interpret or like receive the information, understand it. And she would read, she'd get all the updates all the time, but she, um, she was still so embarrassed to speak it because she's like, I have such a thick accent. And I'm like, who the hell cares? But she was really self-conscious about her accent. Um, and because she became a tax preparer, she became comfortable with, um, just documentation and, um, filing everything. And, uh, because the church told us that it was legit, um, she decided to to pursue it, and um, and she she filled everything out for all of us, um, for all six of us. She filled it out, and then she just became a volunteer at church, and she would do it for every for anybody that wanted to do it, at you know for free um, at church every Sunday. We would we would even help her. You know, we would we were um, helping people fill out their forms. I would always go to her and say, like, what do I do here or whatever? But we would um, solicit people. Um, it was I, I became aware that other people were going to know because we still needed to have um, 
uh, letters and documentation saying that we have been in the United States since X number of years. And so she had to go back to the school district and, and ask for that. And then I just thought, I'm like, oh my God, how embarrassing. Everybody's going to know. But nobody knew, but I was just in my head, I thought that. Um, and uh, she would get all of the documentation just to prove that we were here. And since she'd been doing taxes and she knew other people who had done taxes for our family, um, she uh, had a record. And when she started, you know, when she became a tax preparer and she, she's pre she prepared a lot of taxes for many undocumented um, you know, folks that missed the um, amnesty deadline, she would always tell them, get your mm. I-10. She would take them to social security and she would, you know, get them an I-10, at least a number that would um, help them because she always said, you never know if there's if this country is going to have amnesty in the future and then you could have a record. So just keep this. And she would help, you know, just so many people out and um, that was our journey in 1987. Um, and it was just through church that we became to, um, we, we got that process. We got our green card. Um, and, um, and, and then you have to wait some time to be able to, to be eligible to become a citizen. And in 1996, I, we became citizens. Wow. And, yeah. That's a, it's an amazing story because you, and that's what that's what one of the reasons I love doing the podcast is because I know the people that listen to this uh, as well is that we want to hear these inspirational stories when people come here and you, you came here and, and uh, your parents came here with really nothing and uh, even didn't speak they didn't speak the language as well and they yeah. learned to speak English and got jobs and your your mother was self taught and it was provided a good example to everybody in your family. And then when you um, went on to college, did all your other family go to college or you just said, I'm going to go to college and you applied directly or what did you do? Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, they, my parents had a whole plan. Um, they saved money um, for my sister, my parents, my tell you, my mother had a plan for all of us. Um, she said that my sister was going to be the attorney and my two brothers were going to be the engineers and that I was going to be the accountant because we were going to have a business and that's how, that's, this is what she wanted. And that's, you know, um, and, and so she'd save money. And she told us this from many, many years. I just remember hearing that. Um, and she saved, uh, she and my dad saved uh, money for my sister. And, um, and she said, um, my sister would go to college, um, but my sister wasn't able to go to college because we were undocumented. And um, my mother feared for her that something would happen. And I can't even believe I'm just, I'm like a ball of emotion talking about this. My mother feared for my sister to like something happen to her. And so since they saved a lot of, um, you know, some money, not a lot, just some for my sister to go to college, um, they made the decision to, to take her to, um, to Mexico to go to college. Um, and so she went to, um, she went to engineering school in Guadalajara. It's called Iteso. Um, and my sister, um, she loved it, but you know, our family had never been apart. It was extremely hard on all of us. I remember, um, you know, I'm probably just dating myself, but you know, I'm in my late forties now and, <clears throat> um, we would have such extreme phone bills, you know, to have a phone bill that's $600 in 
in the 80s is just insane. Um, to have a phone bill that amount right now is just crazy. But I remember that's how much it was because, you know, they would talk about it and, um, and they would keep in such close communication, you know, with my sister. And it was just difficult being separated. Um, anyways, my sister, um, she, she, she liked being there because she was able to travel and go to all kinds of different places in Mexico. And she knows Mexico well, but it was just, it was hard for her. And so she moved back after two years and my mom's plan just kind of like fizzled. <laughs> so what, so what did you, so what is it? So what did you guys all end up going to school for? Um, well, not for that. My sister ended up, you know, she's like marketing and she loves her job. Um, <laughs> My two brothers are engineers. Wow. They did do that. Yeah. Um, my, actually, my mother put them in a um, engineering high school um, and they loved it. And so they continued and they pursued it. Uh, and um, so my sister went to public school and then my mom didn't like the public school system. So she put us on private school, private high school. Um, but then the caveat was that we had to work. I were, I've been working since I was 14 cause I needed to pay for high school. I paid, I paid for a portion of high school and then, um, she would pay for the rest of it. And my brothers did too. Everybody worked, um, to pay for, um, schooling. Um, but my brothers are engineers. Um, and then, um, I, I started off as accounting, uh, and I remember being so scared to tell my mom, Charlie with this, I do not like this at all. And I was prepared just to drop out because I thought maybe she'd be mad, but it wasn't. She's like, I don't really care what you finish, just finish. Yeah, so I, I finished, I have a business degree, but uh, you know, I just, uh, um, I knew that my, um, I knew my future was gonna be elsewhere, even with that. Yeah, I, it's such an amazing story. Uh, yeah, your, your life story is amazing. All of you just were so focused and didn't allow anything to put you down. and. Uh, your mom and your parents kept you very focused on education. And no matter what difficulties uh, you went through, you stayed together as a family and said, we're going to continue pushing forward. And and when you uh, so you got your business degree and then um, after that, what did you decide to go into? Did you decide to go work for the city? How did, how did it transpire that you sure, became a, a sure. commissioner? You know, I applied on my, um, I applied for two internships. I was either going to work back in the day we had the stock market or whether we had the, um, God, was it stock market? I don't remember, um, like a satellite office, um, in LA and I was either going to work there or I was going to work, um, as an intern, um, at the mayor's office in, uh, downtown LA. Um, and I got called from the mayor's office. Um, so I just started interning, um, at the mayor's office and from there i um i i didn't care i was working for free it didn't matter to me um i just wanted the exposure and the experience um and then from there i just did other internships um and and then i started working for um supervisor um for la county supervisor molina um i remember getting the job on a in august 1996 uh on a monday and I, and by Friday that week, that's when I got my citizenship. And I always thought, I'm like, how ironic if I work for an elected official and I can't even vote for them. <laughs> wow. And then, so you start, and then after that, you, you were, you kind of worked, your, you worked your way up. I mean, you were doing all these internships for free. How are you making it financially? And, and, and it just kind of built from there. Yeah. You know, um, I 
started working for her. I didn't even care what kind of a job I was going to do, but I knew that it was going to get me somewhere. So I started as a receptionist um, working for her. I was really surprised that they, um, they'd partnered with like Apple one, like an employment agency. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's so many people who would work for free. Um, you know, for this time, like I was, you know, I'd already finished college and I'm like, I'll do it. It doesn't matter to me, but yeah, I, I, I worked there and then I just like, I uh, got promoted to other things, you know, while in her office. And I, uh, one of the things I, I, um, I really liked was just being, um, meeting a lot of different, um, folks in politics and then seeing how policy can change, um, you know, different aspects. You know, I mentioned, um, earlier that I, my parents, um, they moved to Baldwin. No, they moved to, um, South Almonte. And in South Almonte, it was just like a mixed use community. Um, and, um, we had Zaki farms that was down the street from us. I remember, um, you know, just seeing the big trucks, you know, with the chickens and like, uh, fly down my street. And I'm like, that is so not right. As an adult, I thought that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this has to change. So I figured, um, and this is where just like, uh, um, experience, um, you know, meets, uh, uh, work, right. Meets policy. And I just thought, oh, this is where I can make this kind of change. Um, this is where we can change some land use stuff, uh, and, and, and figure out like where we can have either like a buffer or something, um, or, you know, just, you know, make a difference. Um, and so I just started doing a lot of, um, work, um, in different communities and I got a chance to meet many elected officials and, um, yeah, and I, that's, that's what I started doing. And I, um, I, I left her office and, uh, I started working over at, um, a national, um, nonprofit and it's called, um, the trust for public land. And I had a lot of contacts in Los Angeles. So they told me to go to Sacramento. They made me their legislative director. Um, and, and I was a, a registered lobbyist. Um, and I was extremely self-conscious. I was extremely self-conscious because I was 27 years old. I was a lobbyist and I was working in an environment that was, you know, full of men. And I had to talk about parts of California that I had never been to. And I had to speak to it. Like I just, I had to ask for money and I had to ask for their vote at, to re preserve the buttes. And I'm like, where the, where the hell is the buttes? <laughs> I had no clue. I had no clue. Um, and I was asked to do this job and I thought I can't, I, I can't do this alone. Uh, and that's when I just like triggered it. Just like, I had to like think and like, you know, think deep and quick. And I'm like, I'm just going to ask the project managers to come with me and they're going to speak on the project. And when they leave, cause they're only up for a day when they leave, I'm just going to go taste the work. And that's indeed what I did. And just talking to them is how I learned of um, different projects. And then I was able to go out and see projects and learn about that. But, you know, while I was in Sacramento, that's what I did. Um, and, uh, I, uh, in Sacramento, I was asked um, to um, to to do a fellowship. I was asked by um, Senator Scutia. I don't know. If, anyways, a senator from uh, Southern California. She was asked. Uh, she asked me to be a. She recommended me to be a um, a fellow with the Hewlett um, Foundation. 
um, doing air quality issues. I was asked by her coincidentally, and I was asked by um, um, assembly member, uh, Marco Fireball, who's um, since passed, um, and both of them recommended me. And I, um, I did a, this, you know, long fellowship um, in, uh, in Sacramento for like about 18 months. And uh, the time that I had in Sacramento for, you know, four years, I thought was extreme education for me. Um, because at that time I, I learned about um, how the state, you know, finances um, natural resources. So I was able to do a lot of like bonds and um, for parks and for water issues. Um, and then that just set a, a trajectory for me to do that, you know. And then, and then you went on to, um, to work for the, the, the mayor now. And so uh, you're in charge. So you're in charge. You're a commissioner for all of Los Angeles. And yeah, I'm one of five. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big, big responsibility. And you're um, are you in charge of what specifically, like the, the uh, beautification and so forth, uh, to all LA, Los Angeles? Yeah, so we do a lot of different um, types of um, you know projects and work. Um, I'm a liaison for street services, um, and I do also work a lot um, with uh, sanitation, just on water quality issues, um, and that just entails a lot of infrastructure. Um, and we see streets differently now just through a lot of beautification work um, because streets aren't just for cars, they're for bikes, they're for trees, they're for pedestrians, they're for street vendors, uh, it's for a lot of different people. Uh, and so we try to um, uh, look at our, our pathways just, you know, as a, as a greenway now um, and just try to, to develop, just to develop them differently. And, and, and. The really, I think what's amazing is that you you kind of worked your way up and you know starting doing this for free and all these things you did and then and all the internships and then it just kind of built on this and then you were a lobbyist and then in order to become a commissioner and, and you can correct me I, I believe the mayor has to choose you. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The so mayor you must have had quite a reputation for him to choose you. So I have to tell you that's a pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, I had done uh, for. So I worked on a lot of, um, since 2000, I've worked on every natural resource campaign in the state of California, um, it, like statewide. Um, and so, and then I had done a lot of natural resource uh, bonds in Los Angeles. So I got to meet the mayor when he was a council member, um, where when I was the campaign manager for what we call Proposition O, O is for ocean, so it's O is for water, right? Uh, and the city it created a five million dollar, a five hundred million dollar bond um, for water wow. projects, and that was in probably two thousand three, maybe I don't remember, or maybe two thousand four. I can't remember. Um, and so I would, um, yeah, I would work the campaign. He, you know call people uh, to help us. Um, yeah, we worked uh, that campaign. So I did that. I, I, I was asked to be on the oversight committee after I was the campaign manager. So I uh, volunteered for that for a long time. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, in all my portfolio, I've always had the uh, like infrastructure, um, dealing with infrastructure. So um, that's been something that's been just steady. Well, I know, I know you're limited on time and I'm going to just, I, I am so, so, I love the, your story because you, you just, uh, yeah, your, you made pa me cry. <laughs> your passion for, you know, just your drive and your family's drive and your mom and dad and your sisters and what all of you have done in your life is because all of you 
put a goal in front of you and worked, worked, worked. And that's the whole point of this podcast is for people to be inspired by um, people's stories and journeys. So I'm really, really happy you told us this. So I'm going to have to pull some tidbits of knowledge in our last few minutes that we have here. It went by so quick. I wish I could stay longer. Sometimes when I'm doing these interviews, I, I would like to go deeper. And I, we only have a certain amount of time to do this. Um, so, um, and I know you went on to get your master's degree. I know that was one of your other goals uh, yeah. in, in, in leadership. So I'm going to ask you sort of some real quick tidbits here. Uh, and then I'll ask you some little quick uh, fun questions um, that we always ask everybody. Um, what would you give as um, your top, you know, takeaways for people to, in order to stay focused on their goals? What would you give me, if you can give me uh, three, three things really quickly, what would they be? Stay focused, stay motivated, and keep working. Don't give up. Yeah. Just like your family, never give up, never give up. Never right? give up. Never give up. You know, it's, uh, it may be raining, you know, today, but the sun's going to shine tomorrow. You know, the sun always shines. Believe me, I have been down in the dump. Sometimes once I quit my job, I had nothing lined up. I had no income. And I'm like, you know, there's a better day and, you know, I will make it through. But it, then, and this is why I, I love my parents so much. I always thought I'm like, if I quit my job or if I, if I get divorced or I don't know, shit happens. I go back to their house anytime. They'll always take care of me. <laughs> I, love I always it. felt like I had a fallback, uh, but never give up. Never give up. Yeah. Because there's always, you know, a, a sun shining tomorrow. And uh, let me ask you this. Uh, if you could meet one person in your life that you have not met up to this point and have just a few minutes and a quick, like, conversation with them who would those people be and you can give me a couple people um uh um justice sotomayor i haven't met her um and rbg <laughs> uh, i you know ruth bader ginsburg is just like a um somebody that i would you know <clears throat> want to meet for sure um just patience perseverance you know and reading her um you know story is is fantastic you know and and uh and justice sotomayor as well um you know learning about her past it's just you know it's it is it is um i don't know how else to say it it's not a rags to riches but it's a uh, uh that tenacity that one has in the heart to keep going um but also to feel motivated you know i know that um Justice Sotomayor had her, you know, her her mother by her side all the time, and 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 that support. Somebody's always supporting you, but just like help guiding you. Um, and then, Pushing, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and then, so, okay, here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. What's uh, what is uh, something on your bucket list that you still want to make sure you do? Uh, take my kids to travel more. Okay, and then. Um, if you had to give one piece of advice, I asked you this kind of before, uh, one piece of advice to your kids, what would it be? Oh, one piece of advice for my kids? Because you have one chance at this. They're saying, hey, one piece of advice for, for them, for their life lesson. Um, I can't instill motivation in you. You got to find it. 
I love that. I love that. Well, I have to. I have to read our little. Uh, our, we have some wonderful sponsors. I have to read that. I want to tell you. You can stay with us if you like. Um, if you don't, that's fine. But I want to tell you. Thank you so so much, Teresa, for thank being you. here. You are such a good role model. The things that you're doing for the city of LA. I wish we could get into it even deeper. But you're such a, just the fact that the mayor put you in that position because you care about California so much and. You know, thank you for being real and being emotional. And I appreciate you a lot for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the HyperGuy Motivational Podcast. Download the free Podbean app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast. And you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Please join me for the next um, our next guest, our next wonderful guest. Thank you so, so much for inspiring me to do this. And uh, just pass this podcast to other people. We want to build our community and let's just keep moving forward. Thank you for everything and fight on.